Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 105. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts, and this is our panel discussion show where we talk about what it's like to be a life science teacher in these days. Joining us from Texas is Lee Ferguson. Welcome, Lee. Hello. And our uh, our weird opening question is, uh, would you rather be, would you rather be a pill bug or a Wisconsin fast plant? Okay, so... I think I would rather be a pill bug. And let me tell you why. So I have a tank of pill bugs that I keep here in my house because I just haven't bothered to take them back to school yet. And I'm actually kind of afraid to take them back because they spray our rooms every night with some oh, antiviral yeah. something. And so if you're a pill bug that lives in my pill bug colony, you have it made. <laughs> I, I sprinkle you with carrots and keep you nice and moist with a water bottle. Yeah, I want to be my I want to be my pill bugs. <laughs> All right. I'll come up with a counter argument for that one later, but <laughs> All right. And uh, joining us from Missouri is Ryan Laxon. Welcome, Ryan. Hello. Um, to answer the question, I, I think I would go in the other direction and choose being a Wisconsin fast plant, especially amongst our community. I feel like Wisconsin fast plants have achieved rock star status. Like everyone knows what they are. So I think th that's probably the direction I would go. Going for the fame, uh, going Absolutely. for the fame. <laughs> and joining us from Arizona is Tanea Hebler. Welcome, Tanea. Hi. And would you rather be a pill bug or Wisconsin fast plant? Yeah, I killed all my pill bugs, so I'm going to have to agree with Ryan. I took mine home and I put them on the floor next to the fish tank. And there was some oh. kind of other bug that got in there. And I, it like, I don't know if it's like a pincher bug or something that crawls and has some pinchy things on it. And it like took over and it reproduced and it did really well. And I think it like killed all the pill bugs. So, so when I went to go do my pill bug lab, I only had like 10 pill bugs left. And um, so I had to use millworms for the choice chamber lab instead. So yeah. And if you're a Wisconsin fast plant and you're in a biology classroom, you get to have a lot of sex. So <laughs> At least you get to live to reproduce, you know? So, yeah, that's plant. Uh, and, you know, uh, I was on the fence before because I, I could be a pill bug in in uh, Lee's room, but, or I could be a pill bug now in Tanea's room. And then I also had in my mind, what if I was a pill bug and I was in Bob Coon's room? And I know those suckers get ground up and they look for Wabakia. So I'm, uh, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm leaning fast plant on this. I think fast plant wins the day uh, on this. Um uh, in there. And uh, by the way, I, I, I neglected in episode 104 to congratulate uh, our panelist, Tanea Hibbler, on being selected as one of the HHMI uh, Bio Ambassador members. Yes. Well, Yay. Yes. Congratulations. Welcome. Welcome. I need the professional development always. You can never, ever, ever learn too much. And I need <laughs> to grow and learn. And it is some of the best PD that you will ever have. Trust me. It really, really is. So I'm excited for you. Yeah, and they keep the riffraff like me out. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you, there is, there's got to be a word that's better than jealousy because I like, you know, several of uh, my my past guests and and good friends and people who I've been stealing things for years from got in, and I was so excited uh, for you and um, for Brittany Franskoviak and uh, for Brit Chaperna, uh, just to name a couple of the the people who got selected that. I, um, you know, I've, I've worked with or stole from and, and get to see at conferences and that sort of stuff. Um, and there's part of me because I did apply and did not get in, did not get past first round. And there is definitely a little jealousy, but I'm also <laughs> just so genuinely happy for you guys to be selected because I know it's going to be a super exciting experience. So I definitely wanted to congratulate you. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's going to help get through the year. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Ryan, are you, are you, a, are you an ambassador? No, I applied this year also, and I made it to the finals, but didn't make it past to the uh, final cut. 
that is just, I mean, I got to tell you, it was a brutal selection process uh, because, yes. I, you know, I, I know that that there's the number of people who applied and when they had the, the first round of rejections who went up and all the people who were on the thread saying, yep, I didn't get in. I didn't get in. I didn't get in. I'm looking at the names going, oh, no wonder I didn't get in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like they didn't take these people. Those people can do amazing stuff. But uh, yeah, it, it's a they're just a great organization. And I am I am happy to promote and plug their stuff, uh, even if I don't get the uh, joyous professional development that, uh, that you guys get for being part of it, but, uh, well-deserved, um, you, you've definitely earned it with all of your excellent PD and contributions. And, um, it's going to be awesome to hear your journey as you go through it. So that'll be great. All right. Well, I, Hey, I, did I guarantee you that we'd start off on a positive note this episode? I told you we were ended on 104 as a downer, but we were going to start in a positive place here. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> celebratory note. All right. So we definitely need to get a little bit um, more positive, but before we do, we're going to, we're going to talk about some adjustments. So uh, if you listen to episode uh, 104, uh, we talked sort of about what we normally look for in uh, setting up a lab. Like what is our criteria for lab activities? And then we started talking about the, the challenges of being in this pandemic. And so uh, I now want to talk about sort of like the adjusting. And so how do you adjust the labs. And for this, there may not be great answers. And so if we don't have great answers, we're going to do some brainstorming and hopefully get some ideas. So, so, uh, Ryan, I want to start with you. Um, you know, <laughs> we talked about, uh, some of your recent challenges, but, um, you know, how are you adjusting some labs and activities in the classroom right now? Well, to, to start the year, because we were face-to-face, -face, we really just overemphasized PPE, make sure everyone has masks, goggles, gloves, everyone's social distancing, et, et cetera. Um, now that we are um, virtual for the time being, I honestly don't know. Um, the internet situation in my rural district is poor. Uh, those that do have internet, a lot of the times only have satellite internet, which is worse than dial-up so to expect them to run a simulation is it's just not plausible so i i honestly don't know um kind of where the discussion went last uh last episode i, I feel like i i'm not gonna have any other choice but to be a, a worse teacher than i have been in the past but i'm not giving up i'm i hope i can find something but that that's kind of where i am right now all right. And, uh, and Lee, <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to get the negativity out. We're going to blow through this negativity and we're going to get it all out. So, so speaking of that, <laughs> um, Lee, how are you adjusting? Uh, <laughs> so, so we've convert, we've, we've tried to convert a lot of things that we would normally do is say like card sorts or, hmm. you know, hands-on activities into things like Pear Deck and, and, you know, demos that we filmed. And, you know, so for example, with the, um, Oh, what are they? 3D molecular modeling models, mm -hmm. right? Like we would normally have the kids work on those as a, you know, either a stations activity or work in groups. And so what we've done this time is we've filmed, you know, ourselves using the models and manipulating the models and all of this, which, you know, the, the silver lining to that is now we have something for, you know, in the future when students are absent, you know, hey, if you're going to, you know, if you know you're going to be out or if you are out, here's what you can do instead to substitute for that. And so, you know, we, you know, I am trying to find kind of, you know, like I said, the silver linings and all of this just because, I mean, it's not all terrible and all gloom and doom, even though it makes it sound like it. But, you know, there, there have to be, you know, small victories here and there just to say, okay, yes, yes, I can't do these things the way I would normally do them. But, you know, the good thing about all of this is that it is forcing us to think about, you know, hey, you know, how would we do this if we couldn't actually, you know, do this with students and if students are going to be absent, you know, and have them learn the same exact thing. And so, you know, there is that positive spin to it. And so, you know, we're just kind of trying to find that out as we go along, right? I mean, because there was no way for us to really anticipate how many kids are we going to have coming back? How many kids are we going to have? you know, um, you know, going back home, you know, because our, our students and their families have until they have until Tuesday to make the choice of whether or not they're going to, you know, remain on campus, remain at home or switch. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, every, every nine weeks, we're going to see our populations shift significantly, um, because of that. 
And so, you know, we kind of have to, you know, when we plan, it's, it's like you said before, week by week. I mean, we, we can't plan too far ahead. <laughs> so, so, so every nine weeks, the families get to decide which of the cohorts decide. they're in. Yep. And so it creates some, yeah, it, it, it creates some scheduling challenges to say the least because of the way our students choose schedules. Um, we do this thing called arena scheduling where students pick like what class period they want to have their classes during and what off periods they want to have their off periods during. And so um, when they pick their schedules in the spring, you know, they'll often know what sections we're teaching before we even do. You know, so kids, it's kind of like college in that, okay, hey, you have Mr. Matthew this period, Ms. Ferguson offers at this period, Ms. Hibbler offers at this period, Mr. Laxon offers at this period. Well, I want to take Ms. Ferguson this period because I want to have this period off or, oh, I've heard that, you know, Ms. Hibbler is really good. So we're going to have her class period this period, you know. Yeah. And so when you have that kind of a schedule, the challenge then becomes for the people who have to deal with the master schedule. How do we preserve that student schedule <laughs> given their situation, right? Are they at home or are they on campus? And then they have to try and balance how many people are we going to put in this teacher's classroom, you know, with how many kids are coming back. I mean, I'm going to be curious to see what this is even going to look like. <laughs> so say that again, that's every nine weeks they're doing that. Every Three nine weeks, they're changing the schedule. Yes. Well, so, are you and all the eight? You guys yeah. are all teaching the same order? No. Uh, you mean you mean in terms of like the the scope and sequence of our course? Yeah. In terms of the yes, we are we are, and so it's entirely possible that if a student had me this quarter, they could have another one of my teammates the next quarter. <laughs> that that's just yeah. that sound like a good idea. Yeah, it's it's not. <laughs> and and so it's I mean, it, it honestly creates a scheduling nightmare for the people making the master schedule. But you know what? I don't get paid to do that. So I'm not going to worry about it. I will just welcome the new children who come to me at the nine week mark and say, hey, congratulations. Now you're my student and I'm your teacher. And this is how we roll. Let's go. <laughs> you know, we, we've been yeah. doing the same things as your teacher's been doing. It's just going to be done a slightly different style because I'm not that teacher. But, you know, we are keeping the kids all in the same scope and sequence. So that at least has been consistent. That's I got to say that it's crazy on so many different levels. The, oh, yeah. the, the totally invest is. it's basically it discourages you from building community and just like go, just going like going because like I, I the first couple of weeks have been all about community building um, mm -hmm. because where we are, you can opt to be fully remote, but you are doing it for the year. Um, we yeah, are, so when our kids have to do it for each no, nine weeks. Yeah. And my, my own boys are, so their school started fully remote, but we have to make the decision. And by the time this episode comes out, we will have already made the decision. Um, and the information is trickling out <laughs> that may or may not be helpful to us mm -hmm. make the decision. We have got to decide whether they are going to stay in this hybrid schedule or stay in this remote schedule they've been in or go to a hybrid schedule where they go for, part of some days of school Ooh. uh because like they just there's some physical issues at mm -hmm. the high school they cannot feed they cannot feed half of the students physically distanced in the high school oh because there's no space there's no space and whereas like a lot of schools like at my school they took over our lower gym our lower gym is a cafeteria and mm -hmm. it's now like all with all the spacing plus all our cafeteria spaces spaced out mm -hmm. because they commandeered nearby space. But the way that the high school that my son goes to is laid out, there mm -hmm. really is no like they would have to put up like a great British, British baking show style, like tent outside, oh, wow. <laughs> which oh, wow. which like that would literally be half. The, and there's really it, there's no, no way that they could get all the kids. They said that to do it, there would have to be six lunches. Um, to physically oh distance the kids through it so they can't do it so they're gonna end up doing like if you go hybrid it's gonna be hybrid for like half days mm -hmm. two out of the days a week and then the rest oh, so wow. it's like it's a nutty schedule but then once you opt into fully remote you are remote for the year oh wow you are and that's the you way my high school is yeah you can't like you've decided that this year you are a remote student you're in the remote co cohort like that's your, everything's gonna be remote for you. So. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and then can you, can you as a parent, as a teacher parent be remote with your kids? 
So for me, like they did open that up during the summer and some teachers took exam took and I, I teach in a different school from where my kids go. Um, okay. I do not know the situation in district about the remote and I my so I, I don't know. I don't want to speculate because um, I don't know too many individuals and I do know that they had like we talked about earlier, several retirements <laughs> this year uh, from district mm-hmm. uh, that, that went out. Uh, but I do know that um, at my district where I teach, they gave some options and they tried to stagger it. And the reason why they made the students go full remote for the year is that we don't have what Lee has described, where I do not have students who are both on camera watching me and in front of me at the same time. I do have a remote section because oh, there are some okay. teachers who have remote sections. I have one, but my remote section is fully remote. So I meet with them as a group on zoom during one period of the day and they basically get the ap biology curriculum but their schedule is a little bit different and i am tweaking it so it's run sort of parallel to the ap curriculum but it's not exactly the same and i've had to make some adjustments to what we do in order to get that to work um mm-hmm. but i i think that my my kids school is going to go to what like sort of what lee's describing that if you're staying home you're probably going to be watching live, but they haven't really even announced that yet. So I'm, that's just speculation on my part. So listen, <laughs> it's still an interesting times. And here we are at the end of September, rolling into October, but in, in New England, they pushed the start of school year back so far that school started like three and four weeks later than they normally do. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. And see, we started the same time we always do. Yeah. And we, and we did not, we were, they, they gave us extra PD and then they kept pushing things back and they kept pushing things back. And so, yeah, my, my youngest son, if he ever goes back to school, um, <laughs> he's in eighth grade, but his hybrid start date, like we have to make the call like soon. Um, but if he ever goes face to face, he won't go until January. Oh wow! Uh, what? Because wow. Be- because they're doing they're going remote and they're only bringing back some of the classes at a time. Hmm. So they're not bringing all. They're like in a phase rollout. And like a buddy of mine teaches in in another nearby district, and they like everybody was fully remote, and then they had like a half day for one cohort and then a half day for another cohort. And then everybody was fully remote for the next week. And then the following week they do two weeks of half days for them. And then the following week it's a half day and a full day for each cohort. And it took, so it takes them like a month. I'm so confused. Yeah. It's like, it's like everybody's schedule is so weird here. It's crazy. So, all right. Well, I've talked. I I'm, I should make a ban on talking about schedules because uh, it's just, it, it, it's pointless and we can't do anything about it. But uh, Danea, uh, how are you adjusting to labs and activities? And I do know that you're in the midst of this transition from fully remote now into hybrid, and now and then going to be face to face soon. But what are the things that you've been adjusting to in terms of your labs and activities? Well, like I said, I'm I'm the type of teacher where I I cannot. I need to have a student-centered class. Like I need the students to be engaging in whatever it is. So whether they're asking a question or they're looking at data or they're doing like physical lab and then they're presenting on it, they need to be doing it. And I'm not going to spend, like I just don't lecture. I might lecture maybe, I don't know, once in a blue moon. I might lecture once in a blue moon. I tend not to lecture. but I, I, I normally would walk around the class and the kids would ask lots of questions and I'll ask them lots of questions back. I tend not to answer the questions. So, <laughs> um, and even walking around the classroom, I keep thinking, ooh, this is, maybe I shouldn't touch this kid's computer or get too close to them or mm-hmm. I don't know. The kids are being really good. But so Lab Exchange is, um, I think it's um, a resource out of, I think Harvard, they're connected with um, edX. Mm-hmm. Where, um, so I, I'm going to be using Lab Exchange. That's a free resource. And they have uh, simulations and all types of uh, videos and articles and materials. And I can create like little pathways for the kids to learn about a topic. So um, that will be like a backup for me. Yeah. And it, just just so you know, oh, I was yeah, on the ahead. curriculum develop. I was on the curriculum development team for Lab Exchange. So you might come across a video on plasmids where uh, I'm on there. <laughs> oh, cool! I'm gonna look that up now. <laughs> yeah, but you described it. You did an awesome description of that. Like it's online. It's free. Harvard. 
uh, and and that you, teachers can create a pathway and create classes on there. So um, well done, good description. You have a good you got a good handle. You have as good a handle on it as, as me, and I spent more than two summers working on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good resource. So. Um, yeah. Pivot Interactives, I tested that out over the summer with the, the, the teacher workshop I was doing. And so I think um, that for, for labs that I don't feel like I have the physical resources to do like 15 sets of the lab, then I'll be using Pivot Interactives. I'm probably going to use that a lot, honestly. Um, and also because it's editable. And you also can upload your own, uh, if I'm correct, the community library, you can upload your own videos into the system yes. as well. And, um, well, so and I'll you be can using... edit their, their stuff and put yeah, it in you the can... library. That's what I did with the enzymes lab that we're doing this week. I, I don't know if I have the energy to edit. <laughs> <laughs> My time is like running out. Like I keep going. If I said, if I volunteer, actually, I st I'm going to start saying no to a lot of things. Good. So I'll be using Pivot Interactives, and then um, there are some teachers that I'm trying to meet with on a like a monthly basis, and we are creating our own videos. So maybe for things that, well, maybe I think it's like too high level, I just want something simpler, a simpler video, or I want it to be a video that I would have done with, um, I want a lab that, a particular lab that I would have done with my modeling um, honors biology class. And so I'm creating some videos with the help of some other teachers we're trying to build up a list of uh, videos that we'll just share with each other so those will also um, be used and um, and like I said HHMI materials I I think they have a lot of good uh, simulations and or data or activities where students can um, really work through um, a concept and then I like because I'm a modeling a biology teacher I like uh, when the students create a whiteboard presentation of their understanding of the content so we're going to be doing a lot of whiteboarding and I haven't decided whether I want to physically pull out all my whiteboards um, or not I haven't pulled them out yet but I'm probably going to do a lot of um, jam boarding or mm -hmm. have kids creating google drawings and then on electronic platform, we'll be sharing those out with each other, just so I can kind of see what my kids think and uh, what their thought processes are. But there's still like you guys talked about the the osmosis diffusion lab. Like I can mm -hmm. always get plastic cups. Like mm -hmm. that's really easy, and carrots are really easy if I don't want to punch out a bunch of potato cores. So like there's some things that I'll definitely do where I can generate a lot of data with the kids and then we can practice our statistical analysis that I'll continue doing. Um, and my school ordered a lot of gloves. So I just got like six boxes of gloves in my classroom. And if I want more gloves, I just send in a little Google form to the office and they'll give me as many more gloves as I want. And um, I have like uh, goggles and we have the UV cabinet so I can put the goggles in the UV cabinet if they use them and then use them again with the next period. So I think I'm going to be okay, and I know the class will be student-centered, even though it might not be, like, the most exciting thing. The Choice <laughs> Chamber the choice chamber Lab that, like, that was supposed to do with the pill bugs, but they died, I, I did that <laughs> one with mealworms. So I had half the kids on Zoom and half the at home, and then half the kids in class, and they just kind of took their laptops and pointed it towards the, the Choice Chamber <laughs> And then the kids collected data together and they did a chi-square analysis and graphed it and everything. So that went fine. It wasn't perfect, but, you know. Yeah. We're going to make scientists out of them. They're going to, <laughs> at the end of the year, tell me that they're super excited about biology and that they want to do some type of internship. And they're, they, they've been inspired. Lee, don't forget that, okay? That's what I they're going to tell you. <laughs> That's what I hope. I mean, I'm, I'm pinning my hopes on the fact that I had a student earlier this year that, you know, I've, I've been her teacher now for two years and, and she, and I, she's an IB student and she, I'm supervising her extended essay. And we were talking about her EE because I have to meet with these kids so many times during the course of their experience. And she said, I just want you to know that, you know, I changed my major on all my college applications because of this experience. Um, and, and she wrote about, 
uh, I forget now, it's like it's something about the blood-brain barrier and this um, particular infection and, and ways to treat it and all of this other kind of stuff. She says, you know, because I learned so much from, you know, what you taught me and, and your class and then, but writing this paper and, and all of this. And she says, now I want to be a, a neuroscience and biology double major. Wow. And I was like, wow. oh, and she, and, and this is what she changed from. She wanted to be a history major. Wow. That's <laughs> amazing. So I was like, that's really cool. I'm so happy for you <laughs> that she changed, you know, because I told her, I said, look, you know, the way you talk about this topic and the way you've engaged with it, I'm surprised. I was very surprised you didn't want to be a biology major at first, you know, so I, I try to remember little things like that. You know, it's like, okay, every once in a while, I'm going to have a kid that'll come to me and say, hey, you know, I really want to be this because of your class. And, you know, now that the letters of recommendation, you know, requests are rolling in, you know, a lot of the students are coming back to me saying, hey, you know, your class was influential in helping me to decide what I want to do. And so I think as long as I can remember that, you know, hopefully a couple of years from now or next year when kids are asking for these things. And because a lot of my students this year are seniors, which is unusual because most of my kids in the past have been juniors and sophomores. Um, hopefully next year, you know, these these kids that are under class now will come back and say, OK, yeah, uh, I learned an awful lot and I really want to learn more. Yeah. You know, they so, will. They will. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, tell, tell your student who wants to do neuroscience that if she doesn't already know how to program in Python, she should learn. But she needs um, to learn. Yeah, because I'll especially especially in neuroscience, um, mm-hmm. the data analysis, uh, uh, the, the, the data that's coming in. Um, I was at a workshop at MIT in their mm-hmm. like brains and minds neuroscience institute. I was like three or four years ago, and one of mm-hmm. the PIs came in and said that they don't take grads as grad students. They weren't taking any biology majors from undergrad. Mm-hmm. They were taking them computer science. Because it would take them, they could teach in a semester. They could so teach all. Long of, to teach yeah. them how to do the analysis. Yeah. They could teach the, They could teach all the 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 people interested in neuroscience who knew how to program. They could teach them mm-hmm. all the biology they needed to catch up in a semester. They couldn't teach them all the programming they needed. Right. So wow. that in, in anything that's data heavy now, you need to know programming, and neuroscience is one of them. But it's not the only one. Uh, I yeah. think that. And that you makes know, sense. That makes total sense. Yeah. So I, I was shocked. And again, this was three or four years ago and it's, <laughs> it's not getting any, it's not getting any lighter on the data side. Um, so yeah. Anybody interested in genetics that thinks that they're going to be doing Punnett squares? No, they're going to be writing, they're going to be writing scripts. <laughs> they're going to be writing scripts in R uh, <laughs> to break down genomes. Your PhD in Punnett squares. Yeah. Um, well, no, but you do have kids who get excited when they're doing like simple genetic crosses and stuff like that. And they think, it, mm-hmm. but that's cool. That's your entry. But like now the data science, we had a former student come back and give a talk. And <laughs> I think he kind of blew the kids out of the water, but basically he's working in an oncology department at Dana-Farber, um, you know, and he's in between, he's finished his undergrad and he basically he writes scripts to look at like cell types and cell genomes to try to track and pair the cancer types with drug types. Like, oh wow, it's super cool what he's doing. His undergraduate degrees in biology. And he says that the part-time, like he would say that the part-time programming he did sort of on the side was the reason he can do what he can do. Now he understands all the biology from his undergraduate degree and he wants to go into medicine. But the reason that he was able to get the job that he has is because he always was interested in programming and could apply those two things together in order to really to leverage it to do stuff. So there's a there's, it's a very open space for students to get jobs if they if they can plow through um, and learn some of that stuff. So, all right. Well, now that I've disposed uh, disposed that uh, <laughs> sense of wisdom that I got from MIT, <laughs> so I'm in sort of four minds of this, and and you definitely hit uh, some of those uh, specifically. Uh, when you were talking about the pivot, um, and uh, I want to give a plug for our, our hopefully, definitely my good friend John Darko, um, and many of you have met John. Uh, mm-hmm. If you John Darko simulations um, for my first lab, we are gonna. I, I have been promised that I'm going to get pivot uh, interactives for my online uh, or my remote AP biology section, but it hasn't come through yet. Um, so I don't have access yet, uh, or I didn't have access as of the time I was planning what I was going to do for a lab. So uh, I used one of John's labs um, uh, on enzymes, and I was able to create a opportunity for my students to investigate all of the things that I'd want them to investigate regarding labs. So um, his are are amazing. 
Um, and I do intend to use some of his simulations like I have in the past and also mix in some of the pivot labs that I have previewed briefly. But um, I am glad to know that I have two experts who will help me through that um, <laughs> when I need them. Uh, but really, I, I've sort of been, in, uh, uh, in addition to the simulations, thinking about a few different things. Um, I don't know if you guys know um, Kelsey Burris, who teaches out yes. in Washington. Yes. 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 Yeah. Good friends with Kelsey. So Kelsey is a, a teacher up in... Uh, he's in the southern part of Washington State. The man is a machine, yeah. I swear, um, because he is not only an AP bio teacher, he's also an AP computer science teacher as well. Mm-hmm. And so... And a soccer uh, coach. And a soccer coach, yeah. He's time for that? Wow. Yeah, I was going to say, he and, and he's an AP consultant. And so, like, if you're what if you're if you're using those AP daily videos, yeah, he's done he's done a bunch of them. Like, he's in the unit two videos, and yeah, so it's like across the border. It looks like from um, Oregon. Yeah, so yeah, it's like right over. So uh, I met Kelsey at the AP read at my first AP read, and I interviewed him uh, shortly thereafter. Um, and, uh, he's a man city fan. So, uh, I, I let him be on the show anyway. Um, uh, but, uh, but anyway, like you, you can say all those things about him, but the most important thing about Kelsey is that he doesn't root for Liverpool. So he's kind of like, you know, there's only so high he's going to go. He's like Robin Bellary. Robin, I, I love Robin, but she's an Arsenal fan. And so like, there's only so much I will ever love Robin because, um, of, of uh, my, my soccer love anyway. But, um, but in reality, uh, Kelsey, his numbers in his sections are nuts. And so he does what he mm-hmm. calls shoebox labs where yes. he puts together these little kits for things like the, um, for the floating disc lab. And so he puts an envelope and in the envelope, he puts a, one of those plastic syringes with, you know, just a little pl- five mil tip and like, uh, like a quarter straw and says, and then like a little bit of bait. And then he says, go home, make up a baking soda solution like this and punch holes out and suction them their way. And you pick whatever leaves you want and you go collect this amount of data. And then when you come back in class, we'll do the data analysis. We're not going to take any class time doing the lab. You, between now and whenever, you go collect this data. And you can do it with a friend or you can partner or whatever, but go and do that. And so we talked about several labs that are sort of very safe, uh, low materials, you know, not very hard. And so, I, you know, what I've been really in the mindset of thinking both about like sort of what Kelsey has been saying and sort of l- l- talking about Lee's dilemma a little bit. You know, I've been thinking about the idea of like, well, what are some things, you know, um, could kids get, uh, could you give them a few different options and say, I want you to get 10, we're, the phenomenon that we're looking at is we're looking at the phenomenon of how does water go across membranes and what kind of things could you use? You could get any one of the following things. You could get a grape and peel it. You could get a baby carrot. You could get gummy bears. You could get, and like, you know, give them a list of some things. And what I want you to do is I want you to get some tap water and I want you to get a tap water and put in a certain amount of sugar. And we would have to figure out what that amount is and mix that up and give them the ratios, how much to how much so that they could make a sugar solution and they could make a water, pure water, and they could get it. And they have to get 10 data points using the same type of thing and then get a measurement. And for all the things I just mentioned, their measurement wouldn't be mass. Their measurement would be length or Mm -hmm. width or some size variation there. Could you do that with your kids who are at home and have them collect that data and put it into a spreadsheet and it'd be safe? Potentially. I mean... I don't know. I mean, I'd have to also bring three other people on board with that idea. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is, is getting everybody on board with the same idea, you know, because when you work alone, that's easy enough to do. Yeah. But when you work with three other people who may not, who may say, no, I don't want to do that. Or, you know, no, I still don't think this is fair. You know, that's, that's the thing that I have to, to consider too, you know, that I'm not the solo teacher like I was for so many years. I do have other people now that, you know, whose students are also in the same situation. So, yeah. well, and then, so the, the question is, how do you build the argument such that it's, you know, that's stronger? So what am right. I going to teach by doing that? I'm going to teach not just the fundamental concept, but I'm also going to bring in 
Um, I'm going to bring in science practice ones because I'm going to have them write up an explanation. Uh, I'm going to bring in science practice two because they're going to be doing a visual model, a physical model of it. Um, I could have them do a follow-up lab design so they could have sort of hypotheses based off of some sort of follow-up lab of what they were going to do. Uh, so I could get in science practice three. They're going to be building a table. That's science practice four. in a graph on that, putting some error bars on them. I'm going to do statistics. That's science practice five. I could do a, a Jamboard CER. Uh, that's my science practice six. So I could actually do this and invest two weeks of curriculum time or three weeks or you know, time has no meaning anymore. So whatever yeah. amount of time, <laughs> but I could invest time and take that thing. And rather than try to rush through five, like marginally little activities, really have them deconstruct a simple protocol and just tear into those practices and really, really get meaty on that. Um, and so, so, and again, we're not going to do as many labs this year. We might do like, I normally do a dozen wet labs and all kinds of crazy things. I'm thinking if I get six wet labs in this year, I'm going to be like, like, like partying, like it's 2019. Like it's going to be, you know, <laughs> it, it's going to be a grand old time, uh, if I can get six labs in. So what would be six labs that are low on materials, but high on practice potential? And that's sort of, that's Kelsey's idea. And then, and that's sort of my mm -hmm. own idea. And then the other idea that could be a possibility is going even one step simpler and taking it almost to the science fair model coming up with, you know, you talk about distribution as an issue. So what if you could only mm -hmm. distribute like once, what if I could only mm -hmm. distribute once, but I want my kids to flush through the practices and sort of do it as almost like a parallel to what we're doing and so that they're doing almost like a science fair type of thing. And, you know, with IB, I think that this is very practical because they have to kind oh, of yeah. do that anyway, but yeah. could they do it and do it in groups at lower levels where you've got a group of kids who have their radish seeds or flax seeds or, you know, some sort of simple, you know, chia seeds, by the way, you will be surprised how many chia seeds you can get for six bucks on Amazon. Uh, okay. Okay. It, it's two it's two pounds. And so what if you got like a little plastic pipette that had graduations on it? You can get hundreds of those for almost nothing. Uh, you get uh, some chia seeds. Uh, you know, they use paper towels, use a lot of your protocols that Lee uses when she does her fast plants. But you have them investigate something that is like things that influence germination, things that, that are forms of tropism. Th like you can pick a phenomenon and, and have them kind of approach it from a science fair model. Um, in a right. small group. And again, they're doing something over five or six weeks. They're doing replicates. They're doing it over time. And I, I'm, I haven't quite got to that point yet, but I do have a feeling mm -hmm. that I'm going to run out of the simple labs at some point and then mm -hmm. may want to transition to that science fair model because I used to do something like that as a term project in my honors kids. And it was mm -hmm. like one of the best things we did in the all year to hit practices of NGSS. Um, and I can't see how it's going to work this year because of that. So I've been trying to think of how to do that sort of thing. So those are some I of the major things. Yeah. I think it's a great idea because any lab that you do, you want to get to the point where you're, you're saying now, how would you modify it or what questions that bring up for you? And can you mm -hmm. design an experiment to answer those questions? Like that's typically what, sh what I want to get to. And then time is usually what like, stresses me out and goes ah i'm running out of time like mm. if you plan one day to do a lab or two days to do a lab and then the kids take like the whole week to get it done and then you're like uh that kind of ate up the time that i thought i had to do some for the kids to kind of ask questions on their own um but yeah that's the idea i honestly i i over the summer i felt i only had one class and i was helping another teacher with her one class and so i sent home kits over the summer because i only had 30 kids to worry about it was so manageable. But now mm -hmm. that I have a hundred and what, 30 or something like that, my stress level has just gone up. So will you have some students who are fully remote and some students who are in front of you, Tanea? Most of the kids that I have, have are choosing to come back to school. And I have a few who said, I'm going to be home for the semester. But those who are home for the semester, like, like I'm going to, they're going to come into the zoom call and they, I didn't send anything home with them, but they can like see everything that's happening in my class. So I can have an iPad that's just um, focused on one group and they can see everything that's going on. Um, and then if I really am like, oh my gosh, they have to do this at home. 
if it's just a couple of kids, I can send them, like, I can just put stuff in a box and send it to them without a, you know, with no problem. Yeah. Yeah. So I, one of the things I did, cause I was saying I did the pitfall traps and I have my remote section. And so what I did is I, I, I stripped down that section and I actually worked this out last spring. So I already knew kind of what to do, but I, I put a list together of what the materials they needed in ha on hand. And earlier in the week of last week, I put a Google form. And when I had my zoom call with my remote kids, I put the, the, the form up in the chat and I had them fill it out and their name and their address and then all of the list of materials that they needed, which also included permission to dig a hole in their family's property uh, to, to drop the pitfall traps. Uh, and, and, I, and I put the list. And of my kids, because the list of materials is so simple for this particular lab, um, there were only two kids who were, didn't have all of the things. So then I went around the school and I grabbed those couple of things and I put them in bags. And then at the end of the day, I drove out and dropped those off at the two houses of the two kids who didn't have those things. And right. that was, if you pick simple enough materials, you don't have to get things to 130 kids or 30 kids or 90 kids or some crazy number. It can be a small bit. It, it, you can make this a more manageable piece. And if I, I will, I told them point blank, if the numbers were crazy, I was going to rethink the timeline of how, whether or not we would do it like when we would get done. Cause I was like, if everybody did everything, I wasn't gonna be able to do that. So I started by surveying to see if it was possible. And as soon as I saw that it was something that was manageable, then I said, okay, yeah, we'll definitely be able to do this. Um, and I, and I was able to push forward on that. So, so I do think some getting information from your students may, especially while ahead of time might allow you to do that. I, I also think like the, in the summertime, because there was the other teacher who was teaching the other bio class, we collaborated together. Mm -hmm. So she's my, my room is like huge. So she sat like on the other side of my room. And then uh, we, we taught like on zoom together with mm -hmm. her both sections and we just got the feet off of each other. So I, but now like I'm the only person teaching AP bio mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't know. It's just, I feel like I'm in this really lonely world. <laughs> and it's um it's just is not I, I wish I had someone to collaborate with and like brainstorm with and come up with ideas with a little bit more. So teachers out there, if you have any suggestions, <laughs> yes, you're gonna send them to us, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I are people running I didn't notice, Lee, you're you you uh run all of the biology Facebook. Um so <laughs> are they no, I'm only one of four. <laughs> Uh, did I and I don't spend any time on Facebook, and I've been thinking about my the my, my the people I've mentored the last few years and how I'm a mm -hmm. terrible person because I haven't reached out to them yet this year. Uh, <laughs> but uh, do they push out the mentoring program again this year? I don't know that it's been as publicized okay. as it has been in the past um, because the person who ran it for so many years retired, retired yeah. from teaching, and so I don't know that she it's a who is it Robin. Groach, I guess. I yeah. don't know how to say her last name. Yeah. Um, but I think she was the one that had run that program for so long and then she retired. And then I think Tiffany Jones tried to pick it up. And I know she runs, she writes like the first year newsletter and all of that kind of stuff, but I don't know that, um, that the mentoring program has necessarily been, you know, publicized yeah. in any kind of way, you know, so, and I don't know yeah. if it's that there's not enough people out there who, are willing to be mentors or who have time to do it, you know, because I mean, I would love to be a mentor. I just don't have the the time right now because I'm spread so thin already. Yeah. You know, I, I do think and, it's, it's definitely a bandwidth issue. I mean, oh, I think yeah, from both sure. whoever organizes it and for the teachers to do it, but mm -hmm. gosh, I, such a need, such a need uh, this time of year. Um, definitely. Definitely. You, well, especially this year yeah. in particular, you know, but again, it's like you said, it's, it's the bandwidth of people who would be available to do it. I just, I don't think it's there. Yeah. I don't think it's there because we're all being, you know, pushed to our limits. Excuse me. Yeah. It's a, I think, I think for anybody who has done it in the past, I, I you know, and I will hopefully by this episode's come out, I will have reached out to those who I worked with in the past. Um, and uh, maybe we'll nudge the community to see, um, you know, maybe by the time this comes out, you know, we're end of October, some of the heads will be picking up a little bit out of water. You know, we'll be out of that emergency mode that we've been in and, and we may be able to 
reach out to those who are probably continuing to struggle um, to be there. So yeah. we're, we are going to finish this by talking about things we're excited about or looking forward to with regard to labs or lab tools or that sort of thing. Uh, Ryan, you know, you, you had some positivity earlier. I don't know if this positivity still holds <laughs> true, uh, but do you have anything lab related that you're looking forward to or possibly excited about for the possible this upcoming year? Um, I'm excited slash nervous. Um, Missouri state has offered to do some, um, video labs for my, um, dual credit anatomy and physiology kids. But what I'm afraid that is going to be is just them videoing themselves do doing the lab. So completely unengaging. Uh, I'm hoping it's better, but I'm, I, I, I don't know what it's going to be. You know, just listening to you guys talk about lab exchange and pivot and all of that has me wondering, you know, do, is that something that I should look into? Um, you know, it, but being the only science teacher and being the only science person in the whole district, it falls on me to do all of the research and figure things out on my own. So it, again, it's kind of a, a cost benefit, but you guys make it sound like it's definitely worse, worth the cost. Yeah, I don't know what Pivot's got for anatomy. Um, I'm not familiar with the platform that well. I don't know if either Lee or Tanae, have you seen anything that fits in that there way? There are a couple There's some. of things that could yeah. be used in anatomy. And I know that like one of my friends is an anatomy teacher, so she's trying to she's trying to create some videos that she can put in the community library. Um, and then we were trying to see if there were other anatomy teachers who would kind of join in with her. But so we're like we're we're trying to like recruit people to to make these things to support each other, you know. It's hard yeah. though. People are like, yeah. "What what are you doing? Why are you doing this stuff on a Saturday or a Sunday?" And I'm like, "Just because it's important." Yeah, like there's a torque in the human knee joint lab, and then heat of combustion of carbon chains in food, comparing human respiration before and after running. I mean, so those, those are possibilities for sure for an anatomy. But Pivot's not cheap. It's uh, what, five bucks a student? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So Pivot's, Pivot is, is not cheap. I know that they weren't willing to go Pivot for all of our students. And I teach in a big school, but we're willing to do it for the remote students. Um, can I ask you a question? Are the videos, can you, can you look at the community library for free and just look at the videos for free? I don't know. I don't know. I am not sure, but we can find out. Let's find out. Yeah, I haven't. I, I, I like literally. It's one of those things where I was like, promised it, and then was told, yeah, it's coming. So I don't really know. I think I still have a, uh, uh, a free account. A free account. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, at least do the free account for thirty days because that sure. can allow you to test it out. Okay. Yeah, I don't think you can look at the community library. Yeah, I have, I have, I have the free trial and I've got a couple of I got a quickly lab and I've got my library. I can see the community library on the free one if I right. search. So. But yeah, just, if you just go to the website itself without any kind of account, you can't see the community library. You can see their library of, and a collection of stuff, but not like the library in general, the community library. Yeah, and when I look up the 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 knee specifically, there are five videos in the community library for that apply the you know, that have the that are related to the 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 knee the knee torque lab. So yeah, you can get it for the so yeah. You if you look at the free, you'll definitely be able to get in there and check it out and see if it's something that you want to you know argue for your group. I will say the lab exchange right now is um, it's designed more along the molecular lines um it's definitely much more molecular tools uh it's a little bit of an extension out of the amgen biotech experience which is something that teachers in massachusetts and california and like a couple other states and then around the world get access to because anywhere that uh, amgen is present they support biotech outreach um in the state that they're in um and so i've been a member of the biotech community here and that's actually how i got connected with lab exchange and so it started out being a interactive for the molecular labs there and now they are expanding it out and they've added a lot of other resources on there um i'm also affiliated with uh i know that biobuilder uh has some stuff up there too and that's out of mit originally 
So that's definitely more molecular um, side of things, uh, but it is free. Okay. So that's the advantage of that one. All right. Uh, Lee, what are you excited well, about? I, mean, I think we were just talking about pivot and you've, I feel like you were my pivot cheerleader. I think, I don't know that I would know as much about pivot if it wasn't for you, but uh, well, good. what are you excited about? So, well, I'm excited to use those with my students, you know, cause I got introduced to them over the summer and actually spoke with the guys from pivot and had them talk to the folks at my APSI. And so, you know, as I've worked through some of them and, and have used them with my students, I do really like, you know, the way that it gets kids to kind of think about, you know, analysis of data and procedures for labs, you know, because they're seeing things done, you know, in these interactives that, you know, we don't have the equipment for, for example, you know, because there's some of this stuff that I just don't have the equipment for or the setups for, you know, for all of my students to be able to do this. And so I'm excited that I can show them, you know, different ways to accomplish the same task and to teach the same concepts. And so that I'm excited about, you know, and then just the fact that I'm having to completely rethink how I do some of the stuff that I do. I mean, because there does, I, t for me, there have been times in my career where I feel like I've kind of stagnated a little bit mm -hmm. and, and that's never a good feeling. And, you know, for me, I need something that's challenging. I need something to keep me on my toes. And this year has definitely done that. <laughs> and so, I mean, if there's anything positive that comes out of this year, it's, it's you know, having to rethink how I do things and, and kind of keep me, you know, thinking of new ways to, to teach and, and to assess and to get kids to learn, you know. And, and so that's something that, that's exciting to me. You know, and if, and, but I've got to, you know, temper that with, am I going to be safe at school? Are my kids going to be safe when they're in my presence? You know, that sort of thing. And so it's, it's a very tempered excitement. Yeah. I also know that you threw down uh, data classroom. Um, yes. So, and I, I've met Aaron a couple of times mm -hmm. uh, from data classroom and data classroom for me has been a dilemma, a chicken or egg dilemma. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm excited a lot about what it is that we do and it fits into a pocket of something I don't think we do enough of, which is mm -hmm. data analysis, but the gap between where I think our curriculum is and the leverage that we could get out of that resource, I feel is just a little too big, uh, yeah. that I don't know that I could get all my colleagues on board <laughs> to use it. Yeah. I was going to say, and I'm in the same boat. The I mean, way that I, I want to use it. And so I mean, I, what I may end up doing with that is using that with my IB students more than anything else, yeah. you know, because I'm a Singleton teacher in that course. And so since, since I am the only one that teaches that class, I can do whatever I want, <laughs> which is really nice. Um, and so I probably will end up using that a lot more with them than with my other, my AP students. Yeah. And so that for those who don't know, um, I, that is also I don't know what the fee is for that one. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what it is either, but there are a lot of free data sets available on Data Classroom that you can work with. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to have, you know, a paid account to use Data Classroom only if you want to. I think it's if you want to upload your own data to Data Classroom, you can. Uh, you have to have a paid account or you know, um, there's a couple other things you can't do with a free account. I can't remember. Yeah. But so, I know Aaron has tried to make as many things available to people as possible. Yeah. And I felt bad because last, like I, you know, <laughs> good intentions every last spring, I a hundred percent was like, Oh, they're offering it for free. This is the perfect time. Where did those three months go? Uh, so <laughs> that was, that was, exactly. that was my self-talk last year. All right. Well, you know, today we've talked a lot about things to be excited about. And uh, I don't know if you've got if you've got one thing or you've got like where where are you in, in terms of uh, things that that might be, you know, the, the, the thing that's going to be exciting for you for this this upcoming spring? Like, honestly, I I am like I said, I've overcommitted this year to stuff, but yeah. um I am trying to uh, really promote equity and inclusion mm -hmm. at my school. And my school has said that they've made a commitment to be anti-racist. And so um, I, I was initially super excited about making, you know, that, that happening. And then I, and then I realized, oh, that's not going to happen like in a week or anything. Um, yeah. And so I just decided that I was going to, um, learn everything I could and focus on like equ equitable grading practices um, and uh, equitable 
like, uh, you know, it's, it's just like how I go about instruction and curriculum. So I've been really focused on that. And then I've been trying to like host sessions where I bring other teachers in to have these dialogues with me. And so just the fact that I can host a session and somebody shows up, it's been super exciting and I feel like I'm growing. And then in terms of the biology, um, I think it's anything that I do that makes my class more equitable and makes the students feel like, hey, this class is for me. It's it's making me be a better teacher. And I, and I hope that I'm bringing, like I'll eventually be bringing more students that traditionally aren't in the class, in the class, in my classroom. And I'm hoping that the other teachers can kind of see the benefit and then do the same thing in their classroom. So that's what I've, that's kind of been like my focus for the year. And I might do a podcast uh, episode with my um, son's, my eight-year-old son's principal. So she emailed me about it a couple of times. So I'm like, oh, I, she, I think she might be serious. So that's super, that's super exciting because then my kids can see how they can like make a difference in their communities. There's, there's ways to like bring people in to the conversations and you can impact the culture of your school. So um, that's what I'm excited about. And obviously I, I'm super excited about the HHMI and mm. um, I maybe shouldn't say this, but I'm going to do a couple of AP daily videos, but I'm, <laughs> I, I should be excited about that, but I'm really, really, really nervous because um, there's all these really super like great people who've been teaching um in the group for a long time so I'm like more nervous about that than anything and my teaching style is just usually way left of everybody else so I don't know if I'm going to put together what they want but I hope that that's something that um, ends up being a positive thing and helps kids you know helps <laughs> the kids and other teachers in some way so well, I can say that from uh, Lee putting together our review videos last spring, um, that I was part of that process where we did the sort of unofficial uh, punk rock uh, AP review videos that, <laughs> that Lee organized. Um, I, as an experienced teacher, putting together a review of like an entire area of the curriculum, it was really nerve wracking to do that. So like I totally appreciate that and I make videos all the time but I was like I was I I can't remember the last time I was that nervous to do a live stream like doing the live stream an hour I mean I guess it was 75 minute long live stream that I did that's a long uh, time yeah that's hard it, it, it was a long time but super rewarding uh learned a ton by doing it and so these are the the daily ones are smaller but I am certain um, I, I have of two minds for you. One, you definitely need to learn to say no to things, which you do not know how to say <laughs> no to things. <laughs> but do any of us that are sitting here know how to say no to anything? Do, do as I say, not as I do. But you do. You gotta, <laughs> but uh, but but also that my other thought was that like that's it is going to be a really good growth opportunity for you because like it, you end up thinking in a different way about stuff you know and would be very natural and easy for you to do probably for your students but the, it asks it puts a different strain on you to think about it a little bit broader in a different perspective and that's at least that's how I felt when I put that together because when I stand in front of my room and I talk my kids get me like particularly by the end of the year but I was presenting to people who weren't my kids and it right. made me think in a very different way and that helps me that helped me get ready for this year because the kids I have in front of me now don't know me that well. So I, again, I think it's, it's definitely a growth thing to learn. Um, the other thing that it made me think of is that uh, I put, uh, I dropped in the, our, our, our show notes doc, uh, something that I used this year for the first time. I got this from a colleague um, and it's a document from uh, understanding science from Berkeley. It's one of their PDFs and it's called uh, the social side of science, a human in a community endeavor. And it, it's sort of a twist on the the like the draw what a scientist looks like activity. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's kind of more of a middle mm -hmm. school activity, but um, it really kind of goes through. It's a long document, so I did this as a jigsaw with my kids. Um, and what I did is I broke it down into seven different sections, basically based off of the the topics. Um, the the first page being one, and then pages two through four being in the next one, because there's like seven different buckets, and I I had each topic have a kid or two look at it and it looks at again sort of the humans and community endeavor it also talks about the importance of diversity um, in in the endeavor of science uh, how it's a community how scrutiny is important to it 
um, having uh, the scientific culture and the expectations associated with it, and then also the uh, how the community deals with um, ethics and misconducts. Um, and it, it it presented a very broad view of what scientists look like. And I had kids just basically do, we did a jam board, we did class jam board so we could get all the ideas together. And we, I, we basically asked them to come up with the main idea of what they read and what, you know, how does it apply to this class? And then sort of, you know, um, and then afterwards we had them look at everybody's uh, things and say like, what's something that you, that resonated with you or what was something you learned. I think that we gave them like a choice of things like that. And so we did this as a Jamboard activity. It took a couple of days, but again, some asynchronous time, some synchronous time. I think I did this as my asynchronous work one week. And coupling that with sort of the raising of the making more visible, uh, you know, people of color, uh, female scientists, uh, you know, just making sure that the representations of who does science is broader in my class, coupled with this activity. Um, the way I described it is I told one of my colleagues my first couple of weeks, I wanted the view to be, um, who are you? Who are scientists? We are scientists. That was the, that was my, my sort of plan the first three weeks of school. I wanted to find out who they, who they were, I wanted them to think about who scientists were and sort of misconceptions about that. And then the ability of seeing themselves as scientists. So how can they collect data? Can they ask scientific questions? And, and that's sort of where I started. So when you were talking about equity and diversity, I think it's also important for them to have an, uh, an honest view of what the scientific community is. Um, and I don't think that particularly my young students have an accurate picture and based off their reflections, they didn't. So Right. Uh, so that was kind of cool. All right. Well, my my thing I'm going to do um, is I'm going to channel my uh, my inner Bob Kuhn um, and I'm going to talk about a lab project that I'm excited about, which I've been involved with in the past. And that is the Wabakia project um, and the Wabakia project. If you've never heard of Wabakia, Wabakia is an intercellular parasite um, or intercellular symbiont i'll be use my language a little bit more carefully um and so the traditional project is something i've done um at my school in the past we've done it in a few different ways but basically what you do is you collect insects you identify the insects you uh grind up the insects abdomens or whole things if they're small you extract their dna you pcr amplify and you look to see what their insects are and i and you also see both if they have wolbachia or, and you also look for the DNA from their mitochondria as a control to make sure that your DNA extractions works well. And then what you do is you send your samples. If you are able to extract the DNA, you send them off to the Bordenstein lab at Vanderbilt and they can sequence them for you and you can do some bioinformatics on the back end. Well, as you can imagine, that sounds like a super cool lab. It's super challenging. There's lots of places where you can fail, um, <laughs> which we have done many, many times. But also I can't share the pipettes in my room. I can't do all that. But um, uh, Seth and his wife and his lab have set up an opportunity for students to um, be able to collect a small number of samples for classes who are impacted by COVID-19 in one way or another. And if you can identify insects that fit their criteria in there, you can citizen science and send it off and they'll run the molecular stuff for you in their lab. And then send you back and be able to do the bioinformatics. So you can actually still do this project at the beginning and the end and it can work out. And so um, this is tied to a lot of different things. We talked about this as part of a symbiosis storyline. Um, and the way I phrased this when I talked about my student to my students is that there are people currently working on using Wabakia to make in to make mosquitoes that are Wabakia carrying mosquitoes. And again, this is on HHMI. Um, the Ed Young stuff from uh, uh, his his book, um, I Contain Multitudes. He did a video series. They're making these Wolbachia-filled mosquitoes that cannot carry flaviviruses, meaning they cannot carry dengue, they cannot carry uh, Zika, yellow fever, or chikungunya. And so they're releasing these in hot spots that have these infections. Um, and what they're seeing is that in the trials, they're driving down infection rates for mm. these vector-borne diseases because the when you, these mosquitoes have Wolbachia, they can't seem to be hosts to the vector. They can't act as vectors for the viruses. Uh, That's cool. How, that is, how, 
how long is the training to learn how to like do that? Like you do a training for that? Yeah. So they used to do summer institutes um, up here in Massachusetts and they've done them around. It's not, it's, it's not a particularly long series. It's actually like, if you know how to do DNA extraction, PCR, gel electrophoresis, um, mm-hmm. and you have a, any field background at all, uh, you can do them. And they also, not that <laughs> these things happen, they are also at uh, NABT almost every year. Uh, they they go to NSTA a lot of years. They, they, they're they present at the the projects. I was sitting, I was, I, I, I met, I, I've known Seth for a long time uh, and I knew of his wife, but I never met him. I met her. And then I happened to be like eating uh, with her in Chicago. Um, <laughs> like I was talking, I was at a table with some other people and she knew and I knew, and I didn't know who she was and we started talking and that's, I figured out who she was that way. Um, so <laughs> uh, like, uh, but they they are, they are present at those things. So um, I don't know when they're going to be doing trainings um, on this next, but if you connect with them and go to the website, um, they do post up and they do talk about training and, and making resources available. Um, it very much fits more into a storylining approach for an AP class. It doesn't neatly right. fit in with other things. Uh, but I am super excited that they're, making this available and it has allowed me to sort of what Lee was lamenting early. Like I'm starting my kids doing something that has, you know, in Ryan's world, real world application, it has all of these connections. They are physically doing something. They're collecting the bugs. They can't do some parts of the lab, but I'm getting them to do some things and be part of this. And at the end, we're going to get some bioinformatics data and they don't need to sit around a lab table to do bioinformatics. They just need a, computer and they will be very adept computer users by the time we get that data back. So um, <laughs> I just have to teach them how to use blast at that point. That sounds super exciting. So, so yeah, so there, there are some things that we're looking forward to, you know, as, as, as we're in the doldrums here, um, <laughs> a couple, couple weeks in. Uh, all right. Do we feel like we came uh, we were a little more positive in one Oh five than one Oh four. Yes. I think so. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> all right well uh thank you all for joining us again uh we would love your feedback so please dm or tweet at life of the school uh and you can also share any labs that you're excited about looking forward to in this upcoming year how are you adjusting if you got anatomy labs ryan would love to have some anatomy labs that could work yes, here uh, please yes uh Tanea would love uh all the help she can get any ideas you got uh, any anytime you, if you want to volunteer to do any of the nine things that she volunteered to do tomorrow, <laughs> uh, we would all appreciate that. That will help her sanity. Um, I didn't even give you my full list yet. I know. <laughs> <laughs> On top of grad school and everything else and all of the I'm only things. taking one class, though, so that's not too bad. Still, that's one more than anybody else needs to right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said earlier that my bandwidth is low to learn new things this year. And uh, and Lee, Lee, we're gonna need to Lee keep Lee positive, some one way or the other. Um, so maybe like recipes. You want recipes, Lee? <laughs> I was gonna say. Well, I'm making like I'm about to make some some delicious redfish because it was on sale at the grocery store this week. So I'm pretty pumped about that. And I cooked red beans and rice <laughs> so, for lunches this week. Yes, yes. Old school, old school. I've been bringing. I've been bringing like uh, I've been bringing sandwiches because I don't want to go anywhere near a common space. So nothing that I need to heat up. <laughs> so I've been bringing like uh, a, a small container of almonds and a a sandwich that I make the night before, and that has okay. been my lunch. I've eaten literally the same lunch every single day of the school year that I've been in. Well, the thankfully we have a microwave in our prep room, yeah. and so there's only like two of us that ever use it. <laughs> so I don't have to go into the faculty lounge where there's like a bay of microwaves and a whole bunch of people that use it yeah yeah yeah, i avoid i avoid the common spaces i avoid the common spaces yeah i do too i do too as much as possible but well i uh i wish all of you guys uh health and safety over the next month uh credits for this episode uh, please subscribe to Life of the School on your podcast player of choices. You can get show notes at lifeoftheschool.org. You can also get show notes on patreon.com slash lots. And you can also chip in a buck or two every month to help uh, offset costs of hosting websites and media and that sort of thing. That's well appreciated. Uh, music on this and every episode is provided by ex musicians and Jake Jenkins. And you can follow us on Twitter at Life of the School. So uh, stay safe and healthy, everybody. And we will see you guys in November. 